It was June 22nd, 2016. It was the day that the weathermen earned their keep. We were told by numerous reports that there was going to be severe weather in the Kendall County area where we live. About 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, the Chapman family, along with Dylan Patrick, all snuck our way down into our 1857 basement. The rain had already started. There was some water pouring in from the south side of the foundation. Good to know that. But as the dad, I was concerned about the tornado. You see, there were tornado warnings out at this time, and it was getting scary. Now, I had been around several different tornadoes in the Helmer area when we grew up as kids on the farm. One was very close to uh, our basement where my dad was holding the doors shut as we sat next to the random toads that would be hopping next to us. As we sat down there, we, we started talking and sharing stories. I'm sure Reggie was entertaining us. Maybe we did a little bit of singing. But it all stopped. In one sudden moment, we didn't speak. We didn't do anything. Because for six seconds, what seemed like an eternity to us, for six seconds there was a piercing sound. The windows in our basement are extremely ice, uh, uh, um, uh, insulated. In fact, the entire wall has been sprayed, insulated all around in the entire basement. And so that window wasn't shaking, but we heard a piercing sound that was loud as can be. But it only lasted about six seconds. About 20 minutes later, I said, okay, everyone stay down here, I'll be back. And I went up and I investigated. And I went out with probably this phone, with using the flashlight on it. Man, we use our phones for everything. And I, and I found that the satellite dish had been ripped off the, the arm of it that was cemented to the ground. The trampoline had been thrown 200 feet into a building across the other side of the farm. And we had something. We had a tornado, or we had a huge windburst. Something. But it got our attention. And it was loud, and it was scary, and I'll never forget that sound. You ever had that? You ever been shaken by a noise so much that it startles you? That it scares you? Sometimes we witness things that we can't explain. We, we can't identify we can't even communicate with our with our voice with our words well, on today's scripture we read of a, a miraculous story 
An absolute miraculous story. In fact, the story, although very unique, it happens a couple other times in the book of Acts. Similar, similar types of things. Friends, the entire book of Acts is trying to unite us, unite people that believe in Jesus Christ. It's trying to teach us about the great power that's been given by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that with that power in us, it is our job to go out and witness all the love that Jesus has. We're to, we're to witness them by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're to teach them everything that the apostles, think of that, to teach them to obey everything that the apostles were taught. Absolutely amazing to think about. We have a tall order today. Tall order, and I need you to st stick with me. I need you to be with me because today I want us to understand what it means to become one with Jesus Christ. What it means to become one with Jesus Christ. So let's see where we're at in the book. We know the book is, is authored by Dr. Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke wrote a book uh, called, we call it the Gospel by Luke, Gospel written by Luke. We refer to it as Luke. This is the second volume. Acts is the second volume of that book. Luke's picking up the story after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, and now he's, he's teaching the apostles some additional lessons and providing them some final instructions. I like one of Jesus' final instructions. It's found in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open, at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days, not many days from now. Then we get some of Jesus' final words. He does return to, to speak with Paul, but here's some of Jesus' final words to his apostles. Verse 8 of chapter 1. But you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And what happened next? The next point is so absolutely crucial. The next instance in Scripture. In fact, it's so crucial that I think I, I, I'm devoting a whole bunch of time to it today. Acts, I, I know we're studying Acts 2, 1 through 13, but... If you will, Acts chapter 1, start in verse 9. And when he had said these things, that's when Jesus spoke these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Friends, in order to be one with Christ, Jesus needed to ascend into heaven. Jesus needed to ascend into heaven. I want to look at six reasons why this ascension was necessary. We're going to, I want to study this, I want to understand this. But we do have to go a little bit deeper. First, it was necessary because or so that Jesus can continue 
his work. Jesus can continue his work. I mentioned in my first sermon, the first verse, it says, In this book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Many people refer to the book of Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. But as I said before, these are really the Acts of Jesus, or the continued Acts of Jesus. Jesus needed to leave to fully accomplish what God had planned. Another reason the ascension was necessary was so that Jesus could fulfill his Father's words. Joel 2.28 It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. John 14.6 one of my favorite verses. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus needed to ascend so that the Holy Spirit could indwell with his people. If you are committed to Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit to indwell in you. Very similar to this verse we read earlier, Luke 24, 49 says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. When Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of God, the Holy Spirit was able to take his role and fulfill the promises that God the Father had put forward. Without the ascension, we'd be the same as David and Saul where the Holy Spirit at times would come and at times would leave. David says in Psalm 51, 11, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's begging, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. I want it to stay with me. We read in 1 Samuel a couple weeks ago where Saul, the Holy Spirit, came upon Saul. And then what did it do? It well, it rushed upon Saul, and then it left Saul. It said, you are no longer, and it rushed upon David at that moment. That's why John 14 is so powerful. Jesus explained that the Spirit would dwell with and in his believers. God seals his followers with the Spirit. And this seal shall be with us until the day of redemption. And the us in this comment are people who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you love Jesus Christ? Are you at one with Jesus Christ? Romans 8, 9. Oh, man, another tremendous piece of Scripture. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Once the Spirit dwells in us, he never departs from us like he did with Saul. And that couldn't happen without the ascension. 
Thirdly, it was necessary so that Jesus could be seated as king of the world. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he took his rightful spot at the right hand of God. That was his spot. We're going we're gonna to see later on in the book of Acts where Stephen, he's being killed. He's being stoned. And what does he do? He looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What an awesome picture. Psalm 110.1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. In fact, next week, we learn that Peter uses that exact same verse in, in his message. He wanted to remind the people why Jesus had to ascend. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Hebrews 1, 13. And to which of the angels... Has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Jesus is king. Amen? He is the king. By the way, if you want all these verses, I'll send them to you. I know some of you write them down, but I'll send you all the verses I use because I have a lot today. Stay with me here. This is important stuff. You see, Jesus, he needed to be born as a baby. He needed to be born as a baby. We learned in our Sunday school lessons growing up, some of us, some of you, not me, I guess. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, what did he say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always working together. They're always working together. Colossians 2.9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The Holy Spirit always magnifies Jesus, not himself. Jesus needed to grow up. He needed to be a baby. He needed to grow up. Jesus needed to be baptized. We can go into that in great length of why that was necessary, what that process was, and what he was fulfilling when that was happening. Jesus needed to live a perfect, sinless life. Jesus needed to be tempted. Jesus needed to be persecuted. Jesus needed to be killed by man, even though he was perfect, even though he did nothing wrong. Jesus needed to die. Jesus needed to come back to life. He needed to come back to life and to appear before the apostles. And friends, Jesus needed to ascend into heaven. The fourth reason why is so that Jesus could prepare a way for a homecoming with his father to prepare our way. This was a homecoming, a reunion. John 20, 17 says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I like the way John 16, 28 says it. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to my Father. He came from his, with his Father, and he's going back. Jesus accomplished his mission while here, and he returned to his Father, and he's preparing a place for each person, 
that trust in him? Is he preparing a place for you? Is he preparing a place for your brother? Is he preparing a place for your neighbor? Jesus says he's going to go to his father and prepare a place for you and for me. That's, when we use the word awesome, that's awesome. Do you want to be one with Jesus Christ? The fifth reason the ascension was necessary was so that Jesus could serve as our mediator and high priest where we live. If you have the capability, turn to 1 Timothy 2.5. This is a great verse to underline. For there is one God, 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The word mediate means to settle. Settle disputes, settle strikes as a intermediary between parties to reconcile. And at this very moment, Jesus is in heaven. He's interceding for all believers. Jesus is serving as our advocate, as the, as the in-between, the high priest. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That's what Christ is doing. That's why he had to ascend. 1 John 2.1 says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, when Jesus was walking and he was talking and, and he was moving about on earth, some, some say he walked some 25,000 miles in his days of living. In, in all of those times of walking, which, which that was his primary means of transportation, his own two feet, he only covered about a 50-mile radius. He never went to South Africa. He never made it to India. He didn't make it over to North America. He didn't hit Japan. Jesus needed to ascend so that he could serve all of his followers. Everywhere in the world, no matter what, we now can call upon the name of Jesus and he hears our cries. Finally, Jesus needed to ascend so that he could one day return in the same way. He could one day return in the exact same way. In chapter 1 of Acts, two angels questioned the apostles. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is going to return. That's awesome. I can't wait for that. But until that day, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. 
Jesus even taught his disciples to pray. You guys remember his prayer, right? You know what? Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven. our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen wow your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven even in this prayer we're being told that Jesus is coming back we have to be excited for the time when Jesus will come, that the kingdom will come to earth. Again, we don't need to be spending our time looking into the stars, awaiting. Many of you have probably been following Joel Badal's comments on September 23rd, which was yesterday, where many people were looking into the stars. I actually went outside and, and used an app to look at the stars and and it was very, very cool to look at, to see the, uh, all the stars in certain areas and, and the planets aligned. It was just cool to see. But if we're looking to the stars for the answers, we're looking in the wrong place. We need to be looking into Scripture and, and praising Jesus Christ for the works that he has already done and giving him glory for giving us the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Yeah, Jesus is going to return someday. But let's sing of his great works. Let, let's, let's preach it to all of our friends and all of our family until that day comes. We are to become one with Christ if we are, we need to assemble together. That's the second thing. We need to assemble together. In the verses that we read earlier, we heard that the people followed the command of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All right, rabbit trail time. Before we deal with this point we need to talk about and understand why this particular day is mentioned in scripture and why it's important because it is the verse says pentecost pentecost well most of us think of pentecost we think of one of the 170 different denominations that call themselves pentecostal a lot of times when we think of the word pentecost or pentecostal we think of uh, speaking in tongues. Pentecostal is actually a Greek word that means 50th. But we're going to go a little deeper than that. In the Old Testament, we're taught that there were different holidays. There were different festivals. There were different feasts. Leviticus teaches us that the first one is the Feast of the First Fruits. This is a week-long celebration known as the Passover. Again, we go back to our Sunday school memories. You remember the book of Exodus? 
I want us to understand this. I think it's important. God promises people that he's going to redeem them and, and take them out of Egypt. And so he sent Moses. And with Moses, he's, he allowed ten plagues to come on uh, into the land of Egypt. Some of you have seen the cartoon version of it. Real good version. Some of you have seen the Ten Commandments version on TV. That's what I grew up watching. There were ten different plagues that came about. On the tenth plague, when it was time for Passover, God said, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every household as a penalty for the hardness that is being shown. So he's going to kill firstborn of everyone, of every family. However, there was a way out. The Israelites were, were saved from the plague if they killed a lamb, a, 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 a spotless lamb, an undefiled lamb. And they cooked it in a certain way, and they used the blood, and they put it on the doorposts. And then they, they made unleavened bread. That symbolized perfection. Sinless, unleavened. Key in this celebration is that it required all able-bodied Jewish men to go to Jerusalem during this festival. Let's go to the next one. The second feast, which is called the Feast of the Weeks, or Pentecost. That's where we're at today in the scripture. This feast always occurred 50 days after the Sabbath that, that concluded at Passover. 50 days, counting the day of, seven weeks, seven days, 49 plus the day of equals 50, or in Greek, Pentecost. And at this feast, the Jews were commanded to present an offering of new grain to the Lord. And the offering was two Loaves of bread that were made with what? Flour. They were leavened, which symbolized sin, needing grace. Like the Passover, this feast required all able-bodied men who considered themselves Jews to travel to Jerusalem. Very important to understand that. Reggie asked me yesterday, he said, Dad, do you get bored with preaching? I dug into the question a little bit more and tried to figure out what he was trying to say. And, and, and he said, you know, like, you're always reading and writing and, and doing that kind of stuff, and, and you talk so long. <laughs> well, I said, Reg, I, <laughs> it, it is a pure joy to study God's word because I, I get to learn it more. I get to understand God's word more. And when I understand God's, more, God's word more, then I can communicate it better. Then I can explain why, what the beauty is of, of the grace of God. Yeah, I may talk too long. But friends, that's why we're teaching through scripture this way. That's why we go verse by verse, is we want you to understand it as much as we try to understand it. And some of you are way more knowledgeable than me. Believe you me, I know that. 
That's why Reggie probably says I, I'm spending too much time. Because I know that you guys are very knowledgeable. But we need to know Scripture more. We need to understand it more in a, in a much broader sense. So the Passover was when Jesus, the absolute perfect lamb, when he was sacrificed. And his blood was spilled, even though he was perfect, in order to save those that are born again to the Savior. That's what the Passover is about. And when Jesus came back to life, he taught the apostles for 40 days after his resurrection. 40 days. 10 days after he ascended to heaven is where we get the story today, which is Pentecost. Thousands of men from all over the world, the known world at that time, made the trek to celebrate this feast. So very crucial to understand that. Because next week we're going to talk about 3,000 men giving their life to Jesus Christ. This feast was commanded in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, all over the place. It's not like this was just a random day. So let's head back to verse 1 of Acts 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Just as the apostles and the other 108 people gathered together in the house in Jerusalem, today we are gathered. And one reason we're gathered is, is so that we are not isolating ourselves from the world. There's definitely times where, where we need to go into the closet and pray privately with our our King, our Savior. We're told to do that. But there are many times where we are to gather together and worship God together. Like we prayed together. We all were praying different prayers to our Father, and He heard them all. To do that as, as a body, as a group of fellow believers, is powerful. I know too many people that spend time their Sunday mornings or, or their other times of the week where they watch TV to gain their, their knowledge of, of who God is. Yeah, there's some people that are, that are stuck at home or, or they aren't able to, to get to church and to worship together. But as much as possible, just like the men were to, to, to come to Jerusalem, in as much as you are able, you are to go to church and to worship together and to, to love the Lord and to sing praises. Not listen to WSPY and gather any kind of preacher you can get on there. Not to tune in to Moody and just be filled up with theirs. There's, there's a time where you got to get together. And that's what these men were doing. They were together, praying, worshiping, Preparing. Jesus told them to do that, and they did it. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Coming together also allows us to create opportunities of joy with one another. It gives us opportunities 
to actually have joy. We see in the example of the Trinity that there is a beautiful harmony going on. There are ways that God experiences God more fully and joyfully as three in one. And we're made in God's image. And so we need to be in harmony with one another. Together we experience God more fully and joyfully. When Sherry and I are at one with, with each other, we experience much more joy. We, we praise the Lord together in a much more harmonious way. By assembling together, we're able to serve each other through our many gifts. We have many gifts to, to share. Romans 12, 4 through 5 says, For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual, individually members one another. You and I all have different gifts. We all have different things that we can bring to the table that the Holy Spirit has, has bestowed on us. And we can make a, a huge impact for God's kingdom. And, and practically speaking, we can come together and serve one another. When somebody's down and out, we come together, we bring food. We come together, we lift up. We come together, we encourage, we pat each other's backs. We provide money, transportation, medical attention if needed. We do things for one another as, as the gifts lie in us. Another reason is so that we can love our Savior together as his bride. Did you realize that? That we're Christ's bride? Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such. Believers in Jesus Christ are the bride of Christ, and we wait with great anticipation to that time and that day when we'll be united with the bridegroom. That's why we worship together. We come together in order to celebrate the promise of God blessing our corporate gathering. This is a celebration. That's what this should be. A time to celebrate. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered on my name, there I am in the midst of them. We gather together to celebrate the blessings that God has provided. I like the way one author put it, that's why we gather as a church. We are not merely going to church. As we tell our kids, we're going to church. We are participating in the greatest mystery and most wonderful wonder that any individual or group of human beings can ever experience. Oneness with the body and the bride of Christ who together become one with Christ in God. That's what we become. 
In order to become one with Christ, Jesus needed to ascend to heaven. We as his people, we need to assemble together. And lastly, and from our vantage point, maybe mostly, we need to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As our Lord and Savior. First of all, there's a few simple truths that you must understand and you must believe in. First, that everyone has sinned but Jesus. Friends, do we know this truth? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I see you, Jill, wording that. Ecclesiastes 7.20 Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 1 Kings 8.46 If they sin against you, for there is no one else who does not sin. I like how the NIV says it in Galatians 3.22 But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. The Bible is absolutely clear in its presentation. Everyone who is living, everyone who has ever lived, and everyone who is going to live, is a sinner. Is a sinner. The person who is sitting next to you is a sinner. You are a sinner. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Adolf Hitler, Michael Jordan, John Travolta. Why would I bring him out? Your mother. They're all sinners. Every single person is a sinner, with the exception of Jesus Christ. You have to understand that. To be one with Christ, you have to understand that you are a failed being, that you have made mistakes, at least one, at least one. Man, Jesus Christ was and is perfect. Jesus was tempted in every way. We saw that in Hebrews. <coughs> he, he was tempted in, in every way, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. 1 John 3.5, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 1 Peter 2.22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. I'm trying to prove it through Scripture, friends. We are sinners. Jesus Christ was perfect. He was perfect in every way. He was the unspotted lamb that we needed to sacrifice he sacrificed himself so that you and I could live. We need to understand that everyone that has sinned but Jesus, and because of this sin, everyone deserves death. 
everyone deserves death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 11.19, whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. If you sin, you will and you are to be punished. We go back to our Passover story. When the Spirit of God came into the land of Egypt, it was going to kill the firstborn of every home, Israel included. They weren't exempt from that, but they had the inside scoop. They understood that they needed to follow the command of God. In that case, they had to do their own sacrifice. They had to find a, a male lamb that was under a year old, I think older than eight days, and it had to be without blemish. Just a real good lamb. And then they had to sacrifice it to the Lord. In order to become one with Christ, we have to understand we are sinners, that we deserve death. But because we have the perfect lamb who's already sacrificed himself and poured his blood for us, we can be saved from death if we call upon his name. Romans 10.9. Finishing up a portion of the Romans road here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved you will be saved matthew 10 32 so everyone who acknowledges me before men i also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven later on in acts it says believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved i'm gonna land this plane soon okay stick with me i know we've only got through one verse we only have 12 verses to go we're going to land soon. Before Pentecost and after Pentecost. Let's talk about that briefly. I believe the scripture teaches that the apostles were saved before Pentecost. That they trusted in who Jesus Christ was and their faith was counted to them. In fact, tens of thousands of people were saved before the time that Jesus died and was raised again due to their faith and who God was and, and their faith and grace and obedience, understanding that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming. The, the apostles were fortunate to watch that process actually unfold. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was definitely with people in the Old Testament. We referred to that several times. Genesis 41, 13. 38 says, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of who is who in whom is the Spirit of God? Numbers 27 says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. The Spirit was in Daniel too. The Spirit came upon many others, Gideon, Saul, David, we already talked about them, and, and others mentioned in scripture 
The Spirit also filled people in the Old, Old Testament to do works of the Lord. In the Old Testament, though, we see that the Spirit limited himself to primarily Israel. The Spirit, he doesn't seem to be permanently indwelling in the Old Testament believers. We saw that Samson was empowered with the Spirit, and then he lost the Spirit. And again, with King Saul and David, we read about that. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Very important to understand this. We're starting the landing gear. Here's Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind, perfect with the train, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, their, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is an awesome moment, friends. 9 a.m. in the morning. A day of, of a great feast. And they're sitting there. And the entire house is just vibrating with sound. Like a train is inside their home. In fact, the sound was so loud that, that it... It got the people who were nearby to come over and check it out, find out what was going on. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit rushed, rushed. The Holy Spirit baptized, poured into those people. You realize that happens? when you give your life to Jesus Christ? You may not hear roaring sounds, but when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he rushes into you to indwell in you. That's that pure joy that you are feeling when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You become the temple. You become the temple, not a building but you become the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Ephesians 2.22 says, And in him you two are being built together into a dwelling place for God and his spirit. That's why I love Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but who? Christ. Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. No longer does the Spirit dwell with us just for a short time, though. The Holy Spirit promises to dwell with us for eternity. It's a seal. This is awesome. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says, In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to praise 
of his glory. Three more bullets. Let me give those to you and we'll briefly talk about them. You may even have time for that last song. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to continuously ask to be filled with the Spirit daily. We need to recognize that God will do great work through us. And finally, people are going to look at us differently. People are going to look at us differently. That should be all of all, all the points. Verse 4 says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think it's important to understand and distinguish the difference here between the indwelling and the filling of the Holy Spirit. The permanent indwelling of the Spirit is not for select believers. As some people argue in different denominations, the Holy Spirit is a gift given now to all believers. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they get the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. They become the temple of God. And it's, and it's gifted at the exact moment of your acceptance. Believers, therefore, who have the Spirit dwelling in them, they need to be filled with the Spirit in order to do a great work for God. Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit so that He can fully possess us. We want the Holy Spirit to take control of us whenever we can. When the apostles were filled with the Spirit, they did two things in this passage. It's really one, but I like to highlight it as two. They began to speak about the great wonders of God. That was what they actually did. Really one thing, but there was a great power behind that. We'll talk about that just in a second. Verse 11b of Acts 2. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Could be one of the key verses in this entire passage. The powerful way that they were doing, obviously, is speaking in tongues. They were speaking 15, 20 different languages and dialects. Absolutely amazing that the Spirit gave them the ability to speak in multiple languages that they had no idea about. That's absolutely amazing. When you are filled with something, it, it, it overflows out of you. If you're filled with anger, you start getting mad. Your face kind of changes. And you start taking out on other people. When you're filled with joy, you can't help but smile or laugh. Be giddy. Because it just starts pouring out of you. When you're filled with envy, then you almost get mischievous and you, you start thinking how you can outdo your neighbor or get whatever your neighbor has. When you're filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
it just starts pouring out, and all you can do is talk about the mighty works that God has done. Because that's what the Spirit does. He gives glory to Jesus Christ. He magnifies Jesus Christ. These men were doing wondrous deeds. But it wasn't them doing it. It was God. God was doing the work. Just the same as when you're filled with the Spirit, it's not you who's doing whatever you're doing. It's God. When you see that group of people and you want to talk to them and you, you are, please, Jesus, give me. Give me the courage. Give me the strength. It becomes God's doing, God's ministry. The Holy Spirit was giving them the ability to speak languages they didn't know. The Holy Spirit was urging them to speak to others in dynamic ways to praise Jesus Christ. We're going to see how the Holy Spirit took control of Peter and how Peter preached. The Holy Spirit constantly points back to one thing, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. And when this happens, when you start talking about Jesus, when you start living a life that's different than everybody else, when you start loving people in ways that, quote-unquote, they shouldn't be loved, when you start acting in ways that isn't normal around your community because you're honoring and praising Jesus Christ, people are going to look at you like you have three eyes. People are going to look at you and say, wow, that's cool. Wow, that's amazing. I remember I was at Newark Lutheran Church Easter morning, my senior year in high school, and I don't know how I got coursed into going there, making pancakes at 5 in the morning. But I was, man, I was joyful. I was filled with the Spirit. And I was praising God. And I remember this girl who was about three years older than me. She had already graduated high school. And she said, there is something different about you, Phil. I already knew there was something different about me. I was probably strange, crazy. But you know what? I was praising God. And just as I was walking and as I was talking, and I was far from perfect. That's the beauty. That's the beauty, is that God uses us right where we're at. It doesn't matter. If you are having the worst situation in your life, if you've been acting the worst, if you have been running away from God, God will meet you no matter where. You are. We're going to learn about that in Acts. Saul was killing people before he became Paul. And God met him there, and he says, I'm going to use you. Right now, I'm going to use you. Are you ready to be used by the Holy Spirit? By God Almighty. He literally has, he's dwelling inside of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Are, are you calling upon his name? Do you know that you're a sinner? That you deserve death, but that you've been given life through the Passover, through, through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ? We've been united in Christ's body because of his death and his resurrection, his ascension. He's the king of kings. And we get to serve him. They get to serve him. 
Aren't you glad about that? Don't you want opportunities to, to share with your neighbor? Aren't you looking for those opportunities? We need to wake up as a church. I'm not just talking about lowercase c or, or Indian Creek Church. We're talking about the big C, capital C. We need to wake up and understand that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and that we need to preach God's word everywhere. That's what we're called to do. Go tell the whole world about Jesus Christ. That includes your neighbor. That includes the person over at the BP. That includes the kids you're watching. That includes the people that you're coming in contact with. Oh, what a great opportunity. What a great job we have. Jesus fulfilled his mission. Can we fulfill ours? We can't. No, we can't. We need God. That's what the apostles needed. They needed Jesus Christ in order to be able to speak multiple languages. They needed the Holy Spirit to give them the, that utterance. I'm not saying that we're going to go out and speak in different tongues. God can do whatever he wants. Amen? He can give us that language if, if needed. He often doesn't with missionaries around the world, but he could if he wanted to. He can make a donkey speak. He could do whatever he wants. And that's why we praise him. That's why we praise him. Praise Jesus.